generate is supporting my vision to improve the financial literacy of 100,000 Kiwis by sponsoring Keep the Change. Cheers, Generate. Head to generatekiwisaver.co.nz forward slash change to find out more. Getting in the KiwiSaver fund that suits you and your situation is key to making sure you're maximising your investment. Generate are an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of long-term performance and they can help you do exactly this. Their advisors can meet with you to talk about all your options when it comes to KiwiSaver to help you decide what's best for you. Too many people never get KiwiSaver advice, but not you. Go to generatekiwisaver.co.nz forward slash change to book a no-obligation chat with a Generate advisor. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited. And of course, past performance does not guarantee future returns. Gee. Yelda from Grey Lynn. Right, mate. What time did we say we were kicking off? 6.30? 6.30. Let's get this show on the road. Bannockburn. Good wine. Okay, mates. Right, I'll kick us off. Thank you for joining us on the second webinar that Keep the Change, uh, which basically myself uh, has done with a Lighthouse. Team. <laughs> yeah, massive team here. We've done with Lighthouse. Now, this is exploring some concepts a bit further uh, from the first webinar, and we've called this the 10 Commandments of Building Wealth. Now, there is quite a bit to get through here, so we thought... If we try and do a Q&A at the end, we may uh, drag this on a little bit too long for some of you. So what we're going to do is come back next week, same place, same time, but we'll go live on Instagram and we'll answer all of the questions that pop up when James gets going through these slides. So if you do have questions, feel free to leave them in the chat and we will make a note of all of them and basically sit down and between James and myself, we'll answer all of them next Thursday. But James, thank you for your time as always, mate. The people were uh, very inspired and encouraged by the first webinar. So I'm sure you're about to do that for all these people yet again. I'm ready to go on a rant. I like I have no idea where this is going to go, but I'm fired up. I, I feel like sometimes, Luke, you, you let like the, I don't know, the ranting version of me out. So like strap in and let's go. I like it, mate. Let's do it. Yeah, cool. Okay, so, um, oh, Ravi, you know it'd be good to do? Can we do hands up on this? Put your hands up if you came uh, to the last webinar. Put your hands in the air like you just don't care. Party over here, party over there. And then Ravi's going to give me a quick idea of how many came along. Can you do the number, Ravi? Not many, if any. Now, nah, a few. Um, cool, let's, so if you don't know uh, Lighthouse, so Lighthouse is a... Um, a financial services firm based in Auckland. We have accountants, mortgage brokers, financial advisors, insurance advisors. Um, our mission is quite simple. Uh, we believe in helping Kiwi secure their financial future. That is education, which is what tonight is all about. But the thing about education, Luke, if you, you know, know everything, but don't do anything, we call that paralysis by analysis and never get on with the freaking show. So we have to take action. And action is not lighting the whole world on fire at once. It might be taking one small step plus time equals financial freedom over time. Um, that's what we believe here at Lighthouse. 
This is the vanity slide, um, which says that uh, we've done a lot of these webinars before. I've got a different co-host tonight, a better looking one, I might say as well. And we've worked with a lot of big companies, got a lot of good feedback. You've got our knowledge, our time tonight. You've given us your time on a Thursday night. So like, you could be doing far more interesting things than listening to a couple of finance bros. So you um, must uh, make sure to get whatever you want out of tonight. Ask lots of questions as we go. All right, and a quick disclaimer. I'm, are you playing in the comments section, Luke? Are you paying attention? <laughs> yeah, I am playing in the comments. No swearing before 7 p.m. because Andy's children are watching. So I've got to watch myself, but I'll, I'll put myself on mute. So I definitely don't swear. <laughs> okay, um, so quick disclaimer. I am a financial advisor. Um, Luke just likes to rant about finances. So you can probably say whatever you want, Luke. Um, so I will talk in general terms tonight. Um, we will talk at the end and go, I'm going to give you all the information so you can go and do this all yourself. You might go, that's cool. I still want to talk to a professional and kind of outsource it and have a bit of an insurance policy with somebody. So if you want to talk to us about your personal situation, that's all cool. But if you put in like real specific questions, I just can't answer them. Cool. And the 10 commandments tonight. So, uh, I mean, there's a few of them. I'll quickly say them and then we'll just kind of crack straight into it. So the 10 commandments, understand your motivation for wealth creation. You need to work on yourself more than you work on your job. Never spend more than what you earn. Make your money work harder, um, harder than you. Know how you can benefit from the power of compounding returns, which is the greatest force in the financial universe. We're going to talk about leverage. Give your investments sufficient time to grow. Do not compare your wealth goals to those of your peers. Um, give more value than you take and treat your wealth like a business because it is. We're going to talk about um, rich households versus wealthy households, which should be super controversial, which I'm excited about. So the first piece, Luke, and just uh, jump in um, uh, wherever you see fit. The first piece is understanding your motivation for wealth creation and why this is commandment number one is i don't know what, what you think luke but at the end of the day we're monkeys right and our brains are designed for instant gratification instant dopamine hits right everything around finances is do not do that right now enjoy yourself down the track if you do not have meaningful goals that work for both you and your spouse if you have a spouse um, to do delay gratification and make smart decisions there's no way you're ever going to stick to them yeah really important mate I think goals are critical um, and we know so fundamental and I think it's so undertaught in this country maybe we've gone through a wave of not doing it you can find goal setting going back to the biblical days it's just tried and true and proven and we all like direction we like to have something to aim towards and I think that's unique to each person and it's really good to spend some time just thinking about your own unique individual goals going back to what drives you and what interests you but then also trying to understand your partners as well and then coming together to to build some of those together uh, or even before you get in a relationship having your own ones so that when you do enter a relationship you can have those conversations and basically say well like I've done some of this thinking and then you're not sitting there going shit I've never thought I'd 
thought like this before or like I don't know this is now becoming quite confronting why do they hit me with questions like this so yeah I think uh, goals are very very beneficial for all of us and something to constantly be thinking about not just on the 1st of January yeah I really like I've heard you say multiple times that money is just a tool and that's what that's what goals are all about right goal goals are what you want it all to be for what it's all about more dollars in the bank more properties more crypto bros like that's not gonna that's not gonna change your life it's what you do with it Mm, yeah and chasing some form of fulfillment and that's different for all of us so you know they've got to be individualized yeah so we've got some data to back this up like luke said you know 10 goals is like yeah it's pretty obvious but like we're pretty crappy at doing it. Um, and, you know, it's it, the, the fitness analogy is a perfect one on the 1st of Jan. I'm going to um, work out twice a day and lose, you know, 10 kegs. Um, like, that's not a goal that you get. Like, it needs to be far deeper and more meaningful than that. So the analogies between um, finances and health, are, I mean, there's a lot of them there. But this study at the University of California um, talks about five different ways to set goals and the probability of success based on how you do it. So group one thought about a goal and rated it in turn, uh, thought about it and what they could achieve over four weeks. Group two wrote it down and rated it in terms of difficulty. Group three wrote it down with some kind of commitment or action. So a financial commitment might be writing goals, doing a budget, making an active choice, a Kiwi saver, something like that. Group four did all of the above and had accountability from a friend. And accountability with finances is huge. And group five gave weekly progress updates. And why that is so big is because you might be really motivated now, but you're not going to be motivated forever. So you need to have that external accountability and um, like the constant touch points to make sure you're on track. So the results, group one, the group that just thought about it, four out of 10 of them achieved what they wanted to achieve. Group four, who had accountability from a friend, two-thirds of them achieved their goal. And the group that did all of the above, plus gave weekly updates, three out of four achieved their goals. Luke, there's some, I mean, it's not really surprising. It's not rocket science, but it's a big difference. Yeah, it's a massive difference. I mean, you're basically 50%, uh, yeah, 50% of a jump from group one to group five. Imagine the compounding impact of that over time as well. As some scammer just constantly keeps trying to ring me, um, you know, when you apply that to multiple goals, that is going to have a huge impact uh, over a longer time period than just four weeks or or half a year or 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 you know, imagine it over a decade. It's massive. That's right. And in terms of delay gratification, wealth doesn't just work like a building blocks and like a linear faction. It kind of it goes in an exponential growth curve because money makes money and everybody overestimates what they can do in six months. They underestimate what they can do a decade. And it's just taking one small step, one small step, one small step. Eventually you turn around after 15 steps and you go, holy crap, look how far I've come. I really like the concept of writing your goals down as well. It's really tedious, uh, but it's something that I try and practice at least a few times a week. Uh, if not daily, but I have next to my office, well, my desk where I work, I have 
basically a list of the goals that I decide on at the start of the year. And sometimes I don't hit them, but I use them as a reminder to every time I write them down to be like, am I actually doing that? And of course, I need to hold myself accountable to that. Um, but it is pretty cool as you slowly start to, to get closer to those. But you also know as well that there's a high chance your brain would have forgotten about that. But because you're writing it down so often, uh, you're you're doing it. And sometimes for me, it's just connecting people. So a client might need a hand with something. And one of my goals is to try and connect people with the right people because I know that that's another form of adding value. And eventually, I'll get a return on that investment um, which is not monetary yet, but in the future it will be when someone's like, well, Luke really helped me back in that month and linked me up with the right person and they see me as the person who's helped them solve their problem. So they're not always like massively financial, but they're just themes and reminders to stick close to them that I know will actually have a return over time as well. Yeah, that's really nice. And like it also emphasizes the point around like delayed gratification is not just around money, right? Like you are going out of your way, helping somebody, doing something that's not in your uh, benefit right now. But it is selfish to an extent because at some point, you know, if you do enough of those things, it'll work out for you long term. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. And imagine by... Sorry, go. Yeah, I was just going to say, if they're winning, then like, you know, I know that eventually I'll win too. So yeah, you're right. It is in some regards selfish, uh, but you know, then anchored back to the right reasons, knowing that it's going to help them get closer to what it is they're wanting to achieve. Yeah, yeah. And imagine by you writing those goals, even though you don't crush them, each and every one of them every year, how much further along and how much you've developed opposed to never writing them down. And it also makes me think bigger than, you know, I might write something down. And I'm like, why is it always that figure? Why is it that round number? Or like, where have I come up with that? You know, um, or is, is that big enough? You know, why not more? Um, or why not in a different way? Or is that still important? So yeah, so it's, it's a powerful thing to do. Yeah. Um, so the other thing I want to talk about is in terms of goal setting is sometimes, you know, Luke, I mean, you must know a lot of dreamers out there, right? People with big goals, but never do jack and never go anywhere. A few. <laughs> yeah. And, and the thing about, um, the thing about like setting big goals is the reason why is the work required for the big thing can become too overwhelming and you go, well, I'm not going to make any progress. I'm not going to get where I want to go. So why bother? I'll just go to the pub instead. But what you need to do is set the big goals, then make them smart. So specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, and time bound. Um, and then once you know, whether it's, I want to buy a house for a million dollars in three years time, or I want to retire at 50 with an income of $100,000 a year, or I want to pay off my credit card debts in 12 months, whatever it might be, then what you need to do is reverse engineer the whole thing. Instead of the big goal, what is the small step I'm going to take each fortnight when I get paid, the actions that I can make? So like the big one is every, a lot of people go, getting onto the property ladder is too hard. It's not for me. I can't do it. You know, I don't have rich parents. How am I meant to buy a house for a million bucks? Well, if we break down this goal, if say we want to buy a house in three years time for a million dollars, that means we need a 10% deposit to buy. So first thing, a lot of people assume 20%. First home buyers, a lot can do it at 10%. Um, let's say you've already got $50,000 in your KiwiSaver, right? So you've been contributing for a while. You've had some money set aside. That means you need $50,000 more over the next three years. Step two is $16,000 um, a year. Step three is $1,300 a month. And step four is $320 a week. 
So instead of buying something for a million bucks, we've broken it down into the smallest step of saving $320 a week. Now, the really good thing about something like this is if you go, I can't save $320 a week, you want to make sure you achieve your goal because otherwise it creates like a bad relationship with money and finances. You need to change the goal. You need to either extend the time frame, drop the amount, look at what you can do with your income, look at what you can do with your expenses, but you want to create a really clear path so you can achieve these goals that creates better relationships with money and better momentum going forward. Yeah, love that, mate. I think as well, you know, people will say, oh, well, I don't have $50,000 in my Kiwi saver. I feel like we're so hardwired now to go down the I can't path instead of the yeah. how can I. And when we're, I talk about this all the time on the podcast, but when we were at school, we used to always have to do brainstorming. It's like we've given up on that now. We don't even do it anymore, but you literally start with something you want to achieve and you have a blank page and then you basically like, okay, how can I do this? So you might not have 50K in your KiwiSaver, for instance. Well, that's just then another barrier. So like, okay, how can I catch that up? Uh, yeah. Or do I make it more, you know, over here and then it doesn't need to be 50K. It can be 30K, but now I need to save more on this side and then explore how can you go away and actually do that. Yeah, 100%. And with where like tech is going, like the only thing we have is problem solving. So you better get used to it. Um, commandment number two, you need to work on yourself more than you work on your job. Um, Luke, what do you think? Well, this could be one of my favorites. I think it's just so important. You know, I think we do primary school, secondary school, uni, say, or you get into an apprenticeship or whatever it is that you decide to do. You're kind of forced to do those forms of learning, but then we get out and we give up. And I do wonder if it's because we didn't get a massive return on investment on all of those years. And so we kind of go, this working on myself thing just seems a bit eerie-fairy, a lot of shit. But you know, all of the successful people that I've met or that have climbed the ladder or that have become successful in their chosen area of business, et cetera, they've all learned a shit ton about the subject that they are good at. And they've had to do that work. Like no one's just turned up and gone, bang, plugged a USB into them. And they're like, great, now I can be the CEO of the ports of Auckland. Outstanding. Thank you for that upgrade. Like it doesn't happen. They've had to build. Maybe in the future. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> now we can kind of do it with chat GPT almost. But, yeah. you know, you've still, the, the, I remember reading this years ago before chat GPT and stuff. And it was basically like, you know, libraries have always been in communities, but people won't go there and read the books. They won't go and extract the knowledge. They won't then go and do it, you know. So we think, oh, chat GPT is going to change the world and you've got all of that information at your fingertips. Well, now everyone's just like binged out on information and hasn't actually figured out, well, what's the stuff that I actually need to consume? And instead we fall into the trap of let's get some Netflix or whatever's getting bombarded at us by Barbie or some shit instead of going, is this actually the thing that I need to help me get closer to what it is that I want to achieve? But because people don't start with commandment one, thinking about the goals, and then they don't need to actually build a plan backwards the other way and then go, well, what are the skills or the knowledge gaps that I currently have to ensure that I can start um, upskilling myself so that I can start getting closer to those goals. So this is my rant yeah. there. Have you seen the Barbie movie? <laughs> Not yet. It's a banger, like um, would um, would recommend. Uh, I'm going to be honest, mate. Uh, just on that, you know, I'm pretty vulnerable. The the uh, the audience here, I was like, who's this Margot Robert, a Robbie lady? And how have I never heard about her before? I'm kind of glad that I didn't because very distracting looking uh, individual. So, yeah. geez. Yeah, yeah. Um, I Billy, never seen Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah, I have. Is she in there? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. She's the second wife. Um, 
uh, anyway, back to the back to the scheduled viewing. Uh, so money is quite simple, right? In terms of wealth creation, I'm going to break it down for you really quickly. You make some money, you spend some money, there's some money left over, you invest it into assets that give you back an income over time. And in that equation, if you do not get your income up to a certain level, it's not fun. It's much better to have an income problem than an expense problem. Because if your life is fully only focused on cutting back your expenses, it's 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 just not as enjoyable. So Luke, I know you're getting super distracted by the Barbie comments in the uh, in the chat. Um, it's all over your face, mate. Um, but how how are some ways? I know you've spoken about this kind of stuff a lot. What are some ways that we can look to increase our income? Oh, mate, how good. Um, I guess the simplest one, right, is just to actually start where you are and figure out, can you advance on that path? Can you get more valuable in the role that you're at? Like, where is that vehicle that you're currently in going to take you? Uh, can you swap out your vehicle and be be driving around in a company uh, vehicle? And now, you know, your income looks different and your disposable after-tax income could look different. Can you increase the number of hours that you're doing? Can you do some extra shifts? Um, do you need to go down the side hustle route and just go, right, I'm actually pretty good at this stuff. It's design or marketing or cleaning houses or cleaning roofs or a bit of building. You know, on the side, I was speaking to a teacher recently and they said that they were halfway through a building apprenticeship. So in their summer for some extra cash they go and they just get back into doing some building so I guess you've got to look for what your skills are what the demand is and just put yourself out there and say hey do you need a hand with that I'm happy to do that and people will transact with you but I think we overcomplicate it and we think that you know we need to invent this new thing or have an app or all this complicated stuff but often people shipping yeah, yeah. <laughs> stick to stick to an area that you can really learn and get passionate about and eventually the the money will come you know that way as well yeah the other thing i want to just shout out here as well is i talk to a lot of people who are 30 to 50 time poor young family hobbies just trying to like you know very busy lives if you are just working for somebody else and you were just like giving everything you have and then focusing on family and not spending any time investing into you, your skill sets, how you can make yourself more desirable to the market, you will just end up making somebody else rich for a long period of time. You need to spend time in finding time to invest in your skill sets, making yourself more desirable to the market to you know attract a better wage become more desirable to the market, which will then create more opportunities, which will then give you more cash flow to grow your wealth and make the job irrelevant over time. Nice. And it doesn't need to be instantly quick too, right? It can be a long journey, but you want to be thinking about it at least. Yeah. So getting your income up, commandment two, really good one. Commandment three is all around cash flow. Now, I've been a financial advisor for over 10 years. And I can tell you, probably like 20% of people actually know what they're doing with their money and with their budget. If first thing is around lifestyle creep, is if you do not have a plan around how you use your money, you will always just be on the treadmill of life. Money comes in, money goes out, and we're not taking, taking steps forward. You need to understand your cash flow to create wealth, or it's just not going to play out in your favor. Budgeting is not about missing out though. Budgeting is about just clarity. Like if you spend 20 grand a year on holidays and it works in your budget and 
you can achieve all your goals. Go for you. If you spend, you know, go get a coffee every morning. The whole like $5 on a coffee is screwing up your financial future. Like that's just not the case. Like if, if, it, if it gives you value, if you actually enjoy it, go and go and do it. But you need to understand, like in terms of your, that example with the goals, that $320 a week you need to save, this budgeting part is where it's going to help you. So we did this in the last webinar, but just as a really quick one, um, Ravi, if we jump to the next slide, there's lots of different ways to budget. Luke, you've put out a pretty good um, uh, cheeky spreadsheet around budgeting, haven't you? Yeah, I just keep it really simple. What's coming in, what's going out, everybody's completely different. So it's all editable, have some principles in there about what could you save? You know, Do you have to pay down some debt? Um, you know, often with businesses, I've kind of made it a business version. We basically, businesses can't make decisions because they don't actually know how much money they have at a given point of time in the future. And so we basically then model that out. And so it's kind of the same thing, but for a household um, and basically figuring out what have you got coming in? What have you got going out? And therefore, you know, what uh, gaps do you have to plug? Or geez, there's five weeks or five um, rent payments in that month compared to four and that one before and just things like that to get people thinking. But I think each everyone's got to like, you know, I always get asked for what's the app you use or what's, what's that app that, you know, you post it's like, but are you doing this anyway? Oh, no, I'm not. And it's like, well, that's like, just do the doing first and then find the sexy shit second. Yeah, 100%. So this is just doing the doing these four mason jars. So real simple. The kind of stuff we look at is like having four bank accounts. Once again, it's just whatever works for you. The first bit to work out is the fixed expenses. You need to know, I get asked like, you know, what do you think of the 50, 20, 30 rule? Or what do you, you know, what percentage of my income should I should I be saving? Well, if you're single living at home versus single mum with two kids and one income, like they're completely different scenarios. So you need to write down your fixed expenses and work that as a, out as a percentage of your income. Then you need to be regularly chipping away money to an emergency fund. If you do not have an emergency fund, you are asking for trouble. Something is going to go wrong at some point in your life and you're going to end up having really bad habits around credit cards and personal loans and afterpay because you're going to have no other choice. So plan in advance. The fun fund, we're not doing the fun fund next. What we do next is we go, how much money do I need to save for my future to achieve my goals? So a lot of people do this the wrong way around where they um, put their money, um, they, they go, I've got this money left over. I'm going to kind of, um, you know, whatever's left over, I'm going to put into savings. You need to put the money into savings first. And then whatever you've got left over goes into the fun fund. Cool. Next one is around wealth creation, which is pretty much there's two ways to grow your wealth. It is all about either shares slash business and property. So we're going to talk about these two concepts in a second. So a really big piece is you need to deploy your capital. So deploying your capital is as you've got spare money, you need to get it to work. If you just try and, which we'll have an example a little bit later on, if you try and save, you just save your way to financial freedom, it's a huge slog. So when it comes to shares and property, there's going to be different, you know, versions of what people like at different stages of their life. Um, the really good thing about shares is you've got access to the capital. It's much more liquid and it's more diversified. 
The benefit of property is you can turn a relatively small amount of money into a much larger sum of money. So you might have like 140K, 20% deposit, can go buy a property for like 700 grand. Now, if that goes up 5% a year on average over the long term, which we tend to forget in recessions, that's $35,000 a year. The big thing to remember at the moment with 7% interest rates is I hear, oh, I want a property that washes its own face. They do not exist unless you are sacrificing capital gains in, um, have we got anybody in Gizzy here? There's some there's some great deals in Gizzy at the moment. Um, but generally speaking, if you're going for capital gains, which is what property is all about, uh, $35,000 a year in, on average over the long-term capital gains, you're putting $15,000 down. It's like a 80% return on your money. And it sounds crazy, but it's just because you're using the bank's money um, and using the power of leverage. Now, just because in this example, shares deliver a lower return than property does not make one better than the other. My belief is once you're on the property ladder in terms of like you've got a home and you're paying down debt, investment property makes sense because of leverage and that you can use your, you've got an income already and you can have an asset that grows in uh, up in value on paper in the future. But the thing about property, it's never going to provide you with the income that you want to be financially free. You will have to switch strategies later and use shares and manage funds. So it's the right, the right uh, solution at the right stage of your life. Luke, I'd like, you know, I wouldn't mind if we got into a little bit of a fight tonight. Um, how are you feeling about property? You, you're a little bit, you're not the average Kiwi, are you? <laughs> no, probably far from it. Um, <laughs> I, I heard this morning when I was just finishing up at the gym that uh, property's going up 7% this year or next year and then 16% the year after. So now is the time to take advantage of the depressed market. Um, but look, everybody's got an opinion, right, of, of these different things. I think you've got to stick to like, what you know, what you understand or what excites you and what you're interested in. Sometimes I get accused of bashing um, property. It's just not really my thing. Yeah, I'm sure I'll, I'll get there. I still have shares that own properties. Um, I even short the American housing market uh, at times via... <laughs> of course <laughs> you did. <laughs> so like I'm still keeping an eye on the stuff um, and find it interesting. But for me, residential property is just like not my thing. But Again, I think we get box of sticks. Yeah, everybody's got to find their thing that that then encourages them to then want to learn more about it. Um, and that's where you know I speak to someone like Scott Mielsen, who we've had on the pod, and he just lives and breathes that stuff. And so then he builds a life um, over there doing that stuff. So yeah, each to their own. But I do like what you say about you know you've got to sort of transition um, out of them. And you know I've spoken about this before, but Mum, for instance, sits on a freehold property, but there's no money coming out of that, but it still costs money because the roof, because the weeds and the gardens, and it's still a drain mentally of like, oh shit, now I've got to go and fix that. Um, but you know, for a period she did leave it um, and and had a border there and had money coming in, and she was like, wow, this is great. And it's like, yeah, you flipped it back to being an asset again. Um, so yeah, I think people need to think beyond just what the asset class is that they maybe prefer, then what does that look like over a longer period of time? And what are you trying to achieve with it? 
And this is why you go goals before assets or individual decisions, right? Um, the One of the things for people who are property fanatics, one of the things I say to them straight away is I go, the only guarantee is when you look up that property value in 10 years, if you sell it, it's going to be worth it twice as much. So I'm telling you this asset's going to go up in value. The question is, if you're going to sell that asset and miss out on all of those capital gains, what are you getting in return? And usually the answer is income. So I can go and enjoy a life, do the holidays, do the things I want to do. So once again, like, like you've, I've heard you say in the past, money's a tool and it's about how you use that tool at certain stages of your life. But I promise you, if you do not use these assets, if you are too risk adverse, um, one thing that is really important is there is risk with everything. There is risk with doing something in terms of these assets and getting them wrong and learning and failing. There's risk just sitting on the sidelines. Um, and you've got to save so much more money if you don't use these tools. So you really got to use these tools in the right way at the right stage of your life. Commandment five is all about compounding returns, which links very well towards property and shares. So the thing about property and shares is it's not an overnight story. So like Luke talking about what were those two sets on property prices, Luke? 7% and 16% or? Apparently. Yeah. So the thing about those returns is I know what's going to happen over 10 years, right? Shares are going to do 10% per annum. Property is going to do 5 or 6% per annum, okay? If you're trying to work out how do you make the quick buck over the next 12 months, that is called gambling. Um, you might as well go take it to the TAB, do a multi on the wires over the weekend, and you don't even have to wait till Sunday before you get your money back. And there's no, is there capital gains tax on that, Luke, on a multi? Nah, we're good. Don't declare that. Um, so the power of compounding returns is whether it's shares or property, if you invest a dollar after the first year, you might get a dollar and then you might get a five cent return. And then in the second year, you'll get the return on the dollar plus the return on the five cents. And then if you give that enough time, like an exponential curve, but it'll, it'll grow and it'll grow and the interest will become more than the principal over time. And the other bit around growing wealth and compounding returns is like when you're doing, finan doing financial plans, money creates more opportunities, right? The more you're in the game, the more you're growing your wealth, suddenly opportunities, whether it's investing into businesses, buying more property, buying more shares, um, taking a risk with your job because you've got enough financial security to go do something else. Compounding returns is in lots of different fashions. But I'll give you one example with your KiwiSaver. And if you haven't made an active choice of KiwiSaver, this is a really super easy um, action to take off the back of this. So let's say you're 45, you're 20, and you're going to work until 65. So you're going to have your KiwiSaver for 45 years. And over your working life, your average salary will be $80,000. If you stick in a conservative fund, by the time you're 65, it'll be $578,000. In a balanced fund, it'll be $870,000. In an aggressive fund, it'll be nearly $1.4 million. 
So a huge difference in terms of returns. And then you overlay on top of that picking a reputable provider. If you're with a bank, I mean, generally speaking, you look at the returns. It's a definitely like, do you want fries with that type operation? Pick something that aligns with your values. Make sure it's got a good track record. Make sure the fees are reasonable. Um, but like, I mean, look at the difference, Luke. Yeah, that's crazy. So that is just the difference between, yeah, default balance. So you're... 45, oh, sorry, you're 20 earning 80K right through to 65. Your income doesn't yep. change. Yep. Wow. Um, and the other piece here, though, very important disclaimer, it was $4 billion of money when COVID hit that went from growth funds to conservative funds. Now, what that tells us is people could not handle the jandle and deal with the volatility um, when markets dropped. The only promise with an aggressive fund and really just all markets is recessions are going to happen forever. There's going to be one every five to seven years for as long as we live. If you muck around trying to time the market with your KiwiSaver, if you're an aggressive fund or it stresses you out too much, you're much better being off in a lower risk fund. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a, a query there. I was just thinking, you know, 80 grand at, at 20. Um, but it's, yeah, I mean, it's probably quite high, right? But for illustrative purposes Miss, but completely completely missed the point the idea yeah. is average salary across your working life um and and these principles can be applied to any income bingo i was about to say but you've done this on the income not changing for 45 years which i don't know anybody who's worked for 45 years straight and not asked for an increase in their pay yeah up in the chat hey um, okay, so we're going to talk a little bit about leverage. We did this in the past webinar, so we might touch on this quite quite quickly. Um, if you want to hear about us talk about this a little bit more, then um, make sure maybe Ravi or afterwards, or you can go check out Checks and Balances or keep the change for the, the recording or on the YouTube channels. Um, so a lot of people don't get leverage. Um, pretty much it's to do with how can you get more money from the bank to go buy assets that will grow your wealth much faster. So in this example, we've got a million dollar property that's um, that uh, has 80% of its value, which is $800,000. Um, that's what we can borrow up to on the property. The bank wants us to have 20% equity on the property. We've got a $600,000 mortgage. So if the bank will let us borrow up to 800K and we've only got 600K mortgage, that means we've got $200,000 of what we call usable equity. So as long as our income is high enough to be able to service um, the additional debt, we can go and borrow up to another million dollars to go and buy an investment property. Now, you might go, James, why the hell would I want another million bucks of debt? Um, the reason is coming back to the previous slides around shares and around property, that if you're buying long-term assets and you've got the cash flow to top it up and you're buying a property that's doubling in value and all the numbers add up, investment property debt is not something to be scared of. It's a tool that you can utilize if you use it properly. The ones that are suffering at the moment are ones that haven't planned around the cash flows properly, where they thought interest rates would set 2% forever. And of course, now they're 7% and in a world of hurt. But at a very high level, that's how equity works, um, leverage works. 
I think just on that too, mate, most people should understand leverage because they're all attempting to do it before they even get to that level. They're going, right, I've got a credit card and I always pay it back on time. I'm using somebody else's money to bring my goals forward, i.e. buying and purchasing things and I'm not paying any interest. So therefore, I've created a bit of leverage for myself. Uh, or the same thing with buy now, pay later. I mean, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not fans of those things, but when people go their whole life not understanding leverage, it's like, yeah, but someone's figured out the fact that you haven't figured it out and they've used you in the meantime with one of the shit versions of leverage and you've paid 50 bucks a year for the privilege or whatnot and they missed mm. the odd payment or spent more than what you would have. So I think people actually use leverage before they even realize but just don't understand how many different forms it has. Yeah, yeah. And leverage which is the slides talking about luke um and maybe you can touch on a little bit it's leverage is not just finance related is it no i think a good example is that sometimes clients will come to us on the business side but it's no different for individuals wanting to leverage the equity in their property to buy a home and they will say look um we want to go to the next the next stage of this business but we we don't know if we should borrow the money um, and therefore pay an interest component to then go and execute that strategy so they've got to take on some debt and that's scary for them or maybe I'll get an investor. I might get an investor and I'm like, okay, so then the leverage in that case is that they are leveraging uh, their money. And so then they're not having to pay any interest for that. But I'm like, okay, if you're this sure that let's say you're going to double this business's value over a two-year window, are you sure you want to borrow the money from them interest-free, but then they now own 25% of this company. And when you sell it, you know, you've sacrificed that double up on that percentage because you don't own that anymore. Uh, so if you really back yourself, why don't you stomach the 8 to 12% in debt cost? And yep, you're going to um, delay gratification because some of the profits are going to go back into paying down the interest. But if you execute this strategy and you're so sure that you will in two years time, then you're actually going to get a bigger upside of the sale, which then may be tax free as well, because we don't have a capital gains tax at this stage. And they're kind of like, oh, but then sometimes they'll say, well, actually, no, we want to get an investor that's really knowledgeable at this. And you kind of go, okay, well, then that's different because now you're leveraging their skill set, their mm. contacts, their um, time that they've already spent doing these things before, and you're going to speed up your journey. So it might only take, with the right investor, it might only take one year or even 14 months to double this business, not two years, because you've then leveraged off of a very knowledgeable person who's bringing both skill set, uh, knowledge, network, you know, and money to the table. Yeah. Yeah. What a great like explanation of leverage that, and the other piece is you're some, you'll, you know, a lot of people are somebody else's leverage, right? If you're somebody's, um, if you're working for somebody, they're, they're leveraging you um, opposed to just being a one man band working. And then it's, well, if you're getting paid an income, how are you using your income to leverage your future situation? So you have options in the future. Um, very important concepts with lots of different meanings behind them. Mm, yeah, definitely. Zuckerberg's leveraging all of us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's listened to the webinar. Um, cool. Mm. So I just want to spend a little bit of time talking about um, bad debts and good debts. Uh, so well, let's talk about bad debts first. You might look at, I might start at the bottom. Luke, you want to talk about Afterpay or you feel like you talk about Afterpay enough? <laughs> I don't know if anyone wants to hear me bang on about Afterpay for the 86,000th time this year. Yeah. Um, so Afterpay's credit cards, car loans, all the same stuff. Instead of you saving for something, 
you are buying a um a most cases uh want not a need leveraging using somebody else's money but with quite big consequences of an interest rate attach it's quite simple if you do not have the money to decide for these things you should not be buying them i know there's probably a couple examples of um where especially like a car loan in particular might be really needed for those that go um i pay off my credit card every month do you think the banks have credit cards as a charitable donation so everybody can get points and everybody's making the most of the system nah for every point that somebody's getting paid they are making bank on interest payments um so make sure you are not one of those statistics owner occupied mortgage you might look at this and be like oh controversial it's considered a bad debt the purpose the reason why an owner occupied mortgage is a bad debt is she's got to go like having a mortgage on your own home you want to clear that as quickly as you can um having debt for the box that you live in is not helping you so you want to get that mortgage gone as quickly as you can to release more cash flow which is your mortgage repayments and allocate it towards business or shares or property or doing whatever um but the owner occupied mortgage has got to go at some point good debt so we've spoken a lot about investment property people are scared of debt but once again opportunity costs business debt luke i'm guessing you've seen people use business debt really well but also really poorly oh yeah definitely yeah um and student loans so student loans can help you increase your income so once again in terms of um you kind of investing in yourself can work out really well if it's your third honors ba though there's probably a question about whether it's actually good debt that's helping you get ahead or if it's just you know a hobby good Okay, commandment seven, give your investments sufficient time to grow. So once again, I think we used this in the previous um, session, but I just, it's such an important concept that we're all way too keen to get rich quick, which don't get me, don't get me wrong, it'd be nice. But anybody that says, click on my bio, um, sells you a course, um, crypto, like it's all just about people being lazy and just wanting to get ahead quickly and not wanting to do the hard yards. Um, you have to be consistent and committed to growing your wealth over the long term and finding a balance between living the life you want right now, because you don't want to live off rice and beans and be miserable, but growing your wealth over the long term. Now, there's lots of different ways to invest. Um, this is a study from the year 2000 to the year 2000 and um, 20 of five different investing styles contributing $2,000 a year into the S&P 500. So we've got Peter Perfect, which is contributing $2,000 at the bottom of the market each year, which is the perfect time. Ashley Action, who chucks the money in the markets um, on the first day of every year. Matthew Monthly, who does dollar cost averaging and puts the $2,000 in equal portions like KiwiSaver. Rosie Rotten picks the worst time to invest every year, which is the peak of the market. And old mate Larry Linger keeps his money in freaking cash and never does anything. The engineers out there loves to do another spreadsheet, more analysis, and does not pull the trigger. Now, if we look at the results over 20 years, um, some of it's surprising, some of it's not. So unsurprisingly, Peter Perfect has crushed it and has done the best because he's picked the best time every year. 
Investing immediately in dollar cost averaging are about $15,000 behind. Two interesting ones are the last two. Rosie Rotten. So Rosie Rotten has picked the worst time to invest 20 years in a row. But the great thing about investing at the worst time 20 years ago, God, would you kill. Imagine if you could invest money in 2003 in anything right now and how well off you would be. That's the benefit of time with any sort of investment decision. But staying in cash, Luke, you have to save three times as much money to get to any of their positions if you don't use shares or property like we spoke about before. So they are tools that you have to utilize to get ahead. And if you do not utilize them and stick on the sidelines, look how far behind you are. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Eh? At the moment, I've got an investment where I've got the money sitting in this fund and it gives me a payment each um, month, which is all good and well. So say it's a term deposit, right? But at the end of the year, if I spend all of that money that I earn each month from that investment, my money that's in there is basically worth less at the end of the year. So I think this is something for all of us to think about too, because I'm not actually using compounding with this investment because I'm not reinvesting it to then keep compounding and the value hopefully beat inflation at the end of the year or over a longer time period, I'm spending what it's generating. So I think you know, all of us can be thinking about these things in different ways. And even someone messaged me this week and sort of outlined what they've got going on. And they're like, KiwiSaver sitting in cash. And they're like, what do I do from here? And I'm like, well, Ooh. I don't know what your goals are. Like, I'm like, I'm not here to give you advice, but I don't know what your goals are. I said, you, what, what you do from here is you map your next set of actions back towards your goals. So they're like, okay, thanks. And I'm like, what I'm trying to tell you is, that say you're about to buy a house, it's a great idea that your KiwiSaver is in cash, but I don't know you, I don't know what your goals are. But if you aren't, you would be, a financial advisor would be asking you, why is your KiwiSaver you know, sitting in cash and how long has it been in there? But I think people forget the the, the commandment one, the goal, you know, but they're just like, what, what should I do? Assuming that people know, but like you say, you know, um, this is of a general nature and you actually need to work with somebody to go through an entire process to actually understand what it is that you should or shouldn't be doing or, or thinking about. Yeah, you can't just look at things in, in isolation. You have to look at it as a big picture. Um, some really good questions in here around investment property. If I just touch on it one more time. So, you want to clear your owner-occupied mortgage because there's no beneficial tax treatment, like the mortgage has to go at some point. Um, investment property debt, uh, depending on the type of property it is, um, usually has, well, I shouldn't say usually, but the kind of stuff we usually tell people to do has interest deductibility. So if there's beneficial tax treatment, you leave that alone and focusing on clearing your the debt on your own home. Now, you can't move that debt around, Luke, right? So if you've got um, uh, lots of equity in your investment property, you can't just reduce your own occupied mortgage, can you? No, you've got, a, I'm just typing a response, but basically when you go to buy that investment property, for instance, that's where people talk about gearing and they'll try and get a lot of that debt sitting under the rental property because historically, say it's a new builder, still the deductibility is still you know, 100% um, or and with some of the exemptions as well. So you'll work with a smart accountant and lawyer to structure the deal, even with a banker that understands um, investment property, they'll get it. They'll be like, okay, we want to have more of the debt living over here. Yeah. Cool. Let's move on, Ralphie. Okay. This is going to be good. So we're com combining the last three commandments all together, which is do not compare your wealth goals to those of your peers. Uh, give more value than you take. 
treat your wealth like a business. So let's jump into the slides, Ravi. Okay, so I want to talk about this is this is all to do with the psychology and the mentality around money. So I want to talk about poor households. So really important point here. Everybody's in a different financial position, and there are some who will have no option but to, to do essentially what's on the slide right now. However, there are a lot of people where they could be making better financial decisions, and we've got um, rich people. And why are we rich people? I mean, people who earn good income but act like a poor household. And what I mean by that is if we look at their income, it's all going towards expenses. They have no budget. They're all going towards like, um, so there's the basics in there, but then there's other things going into liabilities. So they're buying like sweet jet skis. They're getting car loans. They're getting things on afterpay and it's increasing their expenses because they have no, they have no spare money because it's all going back into repaying these debts but because of the interest rates of the interest rates they're at, it's a vicious cycle where essentially you end up living paycheck to paycheck. Luke, was it you that I saw pop on the story the other day that what percentage of Americans that earn $250,000? Was that your thing? Oh, I saw this recently too. And the percentage is really high. The percentage of um, Americans earning over 250000 US a year living paycheck to paycheck is like, I feel like I want to say it was almost in the 70s. Ravi, I don't think it was that high. Ravi, do you remember? No, I think it was like 30, 40%, something like that. It was it was an insane number. So there's all these house, I can't just, what? Oh, a third, a third of um, people earning north of 250 living paycheck to paycheck. Now you might go to me like, well, that would be a great problem to have trust like if you do not if you can't manage fifty thousand dollars a year you're going to screw up managing 250 grand so poor households all of their money is going into expenses all their money is going into debt and the reason why that boat is sinking luke and the people are throwing their hands up going somebody save me which potentially might be the government um there's no money going towards assets because there's nothing left over if we jump to the next slide the next slide is the traditional middle-class rich household. Now, let me stop you. You might have a misconception around a rich household. They all say the same thing to me. They go, James, I don't go out on lots of dinners. I don't spend lots of money on clothes. I work hard, so I deserve a holiday once a year, but there's no money left over. And I guarantee you what's happened is just as each pay rise has happened, the, you know, they're creeping and creeping up in terms of their expenses. And it means that they've got, so if we look at the boldness of the lines, the one going towards the expenses, a lot going there, but look how much cash is funneling towards, um, you know, bad debts. So they're contributing money to the mortgage. They're contributing money to the batch. They got the couple of cars, they bought the boat, they got the stuff. And it's the same scenario as the poor household where there's no money going towards assets. Do we know what that means? That means you are running on the treadmill of life forever and you're making no progress towards your goals or financial freedom. You are 100% living in the moment and you will have no ability to have any choices in your future because you become more tied to that income because you've got all this stuff you know, wrapped around you, which means you're heading absolutely nowhere. So that's like 
that's the class that I think people look at and go, they should be sweet. Like the poor look at them and go, they should be sweet, but they're probably struggling almost the most because they've got bigger wants and desires and stuff. And I think some other people are just like, well, I can't have that stuff. So like, fuck it, I'd never even aim for it. But I think people aim up and then they realize that they can get it, but they use a lot of debt to get there. And then basically everything that comes in just goes straight back out. And there's no real thinking into the future of shit. How are we going to get out of this cycle, right? Yeah. And the really screwed up thing about it is let's say, Luke, you're doing this, right? And I'm seeing you, you know, everyone's over in Europe at the moment, living their best life. I'm looking at you driving around your sweet Bugatti scooter and going like, man, I want to be like Luke. And then, you know, I go, I don't know what Luke's doing, but he must because, you know, we don't share our financial positions. They go, oh, I could get a $30,000 personal loan to go on this um, holiday. Or, oh, I could, you know, borrow some money to get a sweet Bugatti scooter as well. Um, And it's the Instagram life, the keeping up with the Joneses, that you have no idea what somebody else's financial position might look like, especially at the moment. Um, Warren Buffett's quote that we find out who's swimming naked when the tide comes in. Who I tell you, those times are coming. And if you are just thinking about what others are doing, opposed to running your own race, you have no idea what's sustainable in somebody else's situation, even if they're living their best life that you wish you could be living. Yeah, I heard a story this week and apparently it was from like a mum type Facebook group or something. And basically someone was sharing this story and they said that they'd been, you know, feeling some strain on the old uh, mental health front and they, um, their partner was going to be moving to Australia for a while to increase their income and finances were tight and stuff. And they were really going to miss them. So they were saying that it sounds like they were looking for validation of, you know, do you think, is it okay for me to go for a holiday and just use the last of our consumer finance debt that we've got? I probably, these aren't necessarily all of the facts of this, but this is the general just right. But what the person was basically telling me is that, you know, I would probably assume that people would be like, fucking please do not put yourself into five figures of debt to go and have a holiday to then come back be even more miserable, like tidy up the other things first and delay the gratification, have the hot air, delay a date. But two thirds of people were just like, you deserve it. Go get it on. Um, it's going to be so good for you. Yeah, don't worry about the debt. You can always, you can uh, fly now, pay later, quoting all this shit. And I'm just like, fuck, don't stop sending me this stuff. I can't handle it anymore. <laughs> Fly now, pay later. What a triggering <laughs> concept. Um, the, the thing about a lot of these bad financial decisions, right? It's kind of like somebody buying an EV car on finance and they kind of come with the justification of like, well, you know, my car's got 200,000 Ks on it and I'm going to be saving all this money um, on petrol. And with, you know, not talking about the doing the right thing for the environment piece. Let's keep that keep that separate but you know buy a twenty thousand dollar car or like why does it you know financing a holiday like what a crappy concept yeah the amount of conversations i've had with clients where i'm just like why have you brought that car like why that one just just yeah just prove it first like go out and get good first and then get the cool car you, you like you're trying to get to step three but you're only at step 
0.5 like let's clean up the taxes you know it's just but we can't help ourselves because it's everywhere and then we've got the comparison thing which is obviously one of the commandments and you kind of well if i have the nicer car people might sort of look at me differently and yeah it's a it's an interesting one but i think you've really got to you've got to know like i think deep down people know whether things are a good idea or not um yeah. but they, they avoid all of the the no this isn't a bad idea you know, like even I knew it was probably stupid getting a $15,000 credit card, but I'm like, I can manage it. If anyone can manage it, I can manage it. I'm going to game the system and I'm going to find a win here. And then eventually, no. But always I just say to people that have these big validations for car finance, for consumer finance, for holiday finance, for like whatever it is, or even their credit card. I'm like, tell me which is bigger, your credit card balance or your emergency fund? Tell mm. me which is bigger, your car finance or your KiwiSaver balance. Which one yeah. of those figures is bigger? And that usually kills 80% of those conversations because we yeah. do it all backwards. We go the other way around. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the moral of the story in terms of the poor households and the rich households, the way you take these concepts is really important because you might look at this and go, um, I can't get out of my situation or like my situation doesn't have a lot of fat at the moment. It's all about planning going forward. What are the small steps you can take to improve your situation to end up being a wealthy household, which Ravi, if we jump to the next slide. So this is the aim of the game and my goodness, what a beautiful slide it is. So we've got, I know we've got lots of lines going on. There are lots of different colors. So let's, let's talk, let's talk it through. Is it a bit too much for you on a Thursday night, Luke? There's a lot there. I'm just trying to piece it together. Yeah. Even I, can. I told you, I told you, mate, going to the Chinese place next door and going for the barbecue pork, crispy pork combination. You look like you're starting to battle after an hour. <laughs> it was good though. It yeah, only yeah. had half. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Got a snack afterwards. Um, so mm. you've got your income on the left-hand side, right? And then you notice the boldness of the expense line is far less. So this person has a budget that they're keeping to, and they're aware of what's going on. They have very little money going towards liabilities, right? They are all about delayed gratification. So they're keeping that, you know, we talk about their income, you've got your expenses, they're keeping as much as they can behind to invest into assets. So on the top right-hand side, um, kind of going to the top of the screen, we're investing into property, we're investing into shares, we're investing into business, whatever wets your whistle. Then over time, those assets will increase in value and provide some sort of income. So they will swoop back around, create passive income, which the best thing about that is once you've got passive income from assets, you're not working for it anymore, right? Somebody else is doing something that's creating wealth for you and it's sustainable wealth. So then you have money to go and buy the fun stuff. You can go buy as, buy as many jet skis as you want. You got more money for holidays and it's a sustainable model. We've got a good relationship around money that you're feeling good. And it's all about at the starting point, pushing money, keeping expenses in line, not doing the fun stuff that everybody's doing straight away and putting money into assets that will grow your wealth and create passive income. And I'm proud to say that this is loosely how my life is set up financially uh, at the moment. And I'm sure things will change as my, you know, lifestyle changes and just, but yeah, 90%. Um, but I honestly, I reckon 
something that I learned that I've just clicked when watching this that I reckon is a really good goal for people at the moment. And this has changed recently because interest rates have increased. I reckon set yourself a goal to pick like one utility or one subscription that you have that goes out every month and go, right, it's $29, say, a month, or even it's $20, um, yeah, say a month or yeah, a week or whatever, but let's say it's a month, and then go, right, if I could stack, what amount of money do I need to stack into a term deposit and get the passive income paid to you monthly, and that's going to pay your Spotify subscription or your power um, per week, et cetera, because... I think when you do that for the first time and you have interest income coming back, which is passive income on a term deposit, and you realize like, whoa, I didn't pay my power this month. I didn't pay for my Spotify. Fucking ANZ did or BNZ or whoever you've got your term deposit with. <clears throat> for one of the first times you realize like, oh, this is the concept. And then it makes you really hungry to think, well, <clears throat> instead of going down the route of getting more buy now, pay later and more consumer finance, you like, I want to stack more money so that I can get more of these returns so that I can subsidize the costs of my life. And then you start continuing to go down that path. And I'm at a stage now where some of the passive income coming in, if I take it rather than reinvesting it, I'm like, whoa, this is quite a good chunky bit of coin. And this needs to go into my budget because this is going to actually subsidize the costs that I have going out. But obviously, at the same time, then naturally your lifestyle may creep. Um, but you know, often for me, I'll be like, I'm going to invest it back into grow and keep the change or something like that. So it'll come in and then I'll store some and it goes into the assets and it generates a return. And then I'm like, okay, I'm going to spend the other side. But I'm investing it back into other forms of assets that are going to drop out income along the time. But I think for a lot of people, they don't get this concept because we've been in such a low interest rate environment for so long, or they get a tiny 20 cent dividend from sharesies and they're like, ah, oh, fuck's sake, yeah, 20 cents, what can you buy with that anymore? But if you can build up a sizable amount of coin that can drop you out a uh, return after tax that you can pay a bill with, you'll really grasp this concept and it'll get you further on the path of, shit, I want to store some assets to get some income coming back towards yourself to subsidize your expenses and outgoings. Yeah. And if we think about the very first slide that we had tonight, education plus action plus time equals financial freedom. Education is all about, you know, at some point in your life, the light bulb is going to go off around money and kind of what money can do, how it works, how you can get it to work for you. Learning those concepts is so important. The light bulb going off. How do I make myself more desirable to the market to get my income up? How do I keep my budget intact using delayed gratification to invest into assets, which I need to educate myself on how they work, which can create passive income, those sweet 20 cent divvies to create passive income over time. And with enough time, which is the next part, will equal financial freedom. And money is really as simple as that. It's just people don't want to do it. Um, and you just, it's small, consistent steps. It's amazing the people I've seen come to me where they've come to me in such a shitty situation and how quickly you can turn the ship around by not focusing on the big, scary objective 
or playing hindsight, looking at what you could have done better in the past, which has no benefit to you right now. It's about what, what's the one step I can take right now to build a little bit more, more momentum, feeling a little bit better about myself. How do I like kind of build on top of those and really go after it? Um, whilst we've been doing this, mate, I just took a, a quick Instagram of you talking before, but I've seen a message and this bloke says, hey, man, just would like to send out a thank you for what you're doing, your podcast. my uh, So you're doing your podcast. My finances aren't amazing, but I kicked after pay to the curb and now have money for emergencies and not living week to week. And the last three words forward, it's a beautiful feeling. I think that's the thing that's really hard to explain to people who love buy now, pay later credit cards and kind of stay in the, you know, the, the cash of poor households as such. They've got their justification. Why you try to explain to them. Yeah, but just wait until you get to experience the feeling of not having that shit in your life and not having to allocate your income to pay down those debts. Or, you know, as soon as you get paid, bang, Luke was paying down his credit card, but for you, it might be paying down your buy, buy now, pay later, for instance, it's a completely different feeling and you start to become somebody who you're not and you start to have to mm. think differently and you're like, okay, don't have to pay those anymore. Don't have to give Westpac 500 bucks to decrease my credit card balance this week. What am I going to do with that 500 bucks? Fuck, every bit of you wants to just sneak back into doing all the dumb shit that leads you to have the 15K credit card, but you're, you're like, I don't want to go there anymore. Like did all the work not to get there. So then you've got to learn a whole new set of skills to be like, well, now what do I do with this excess cash? And then you start to get to look to your future instead of basically, well, I just need to tidy up the sneakers that I brought three months ago that are still on Afterpay or whatever. Uh, and then I can worry about that stuff. But then by then you can't bloody had a hernia and you've put that one on the consumer finance as well. So you've got your sneakers all paid off now, but now your cat's hernia is still be paid off and you're not thinking about your future. Yeah, yeah. I um, um You must have been must have been during your trip to Las Vegas, Luke, because I got asked to go on the news and um, talk about Afterpay. And I went on this um, this rant and somebody very close to me said, James, I need, to, I need to call you. I need to talk to you about something. And pretty much it was a conversation around how um, I don't understand their situation. I don't understand, you know, that they have to choose between using Afterpay or not being able to do things for their kids. Um, I'm in a position of privilege and I'm kind of coming from this, you know, high pedestal. And I said to the first thing I said to them, I'm like, let's do a financial plan together. Um, and this person was close to me. I was like, I'm not going to charge you. I'm not going to charge you a fee. Let's do a plan together. Let's get under the hood. Cause the problem is there's, there's something not making sense with your situation that you're having to use these tools. Um, anyway, we did a budget. I found $40,000 a year in their budget, realistic budget with heaps of additional fat. Um, and I said, we can pay off your mortgage in, I think it was like seven years. I can, you know, I can help you work towards financial freedom. Haven't heard from that person again. Because because wow. because a lot of the time, and this is where like the psychology comes in and all the other aspects of life come in. Some people want to use that crutch and want to use afterpay, whatever it might be. And even when you go like, this is the path, like you can do this. Sometimes people just don't want to um, like face up and kind of actually take those steps forward because they want to, they want to, I don't know, it's easier to, it's just kind of like the whole, I've left it too late 
piece, right? It's easier mm-hmm. to stick your head in the sand and deal with the consequences now rather than change your situation and change who you are. I love that, eh? James, you come from a privileged position. Hey, mate, you're fucking being lent money and you can't yeah. buy things. Yeah. Which one's the privilege? I, yeah, yeah, you, yeah. And I also go, I go, yeah, I'm privileged as fuck. Um, mm. And I'm just, I'm just like, and I'm, and I'm going making the most of the situation and I want to help you. Like, um, but anyway, I'm going on a bit of a rant now. But I, I, I know what you mean. You've people have to be ready to change. They've actually have. Oh, to be you ready can't to want it. You can't. I, I learned. I learned this fucking at uni when I was trying to get my mates to come to class and sm- sit of smoking weed all day. You got to. You can't want something for somebody more um, than they want it for themselves, right? And you just got to hope one day, kind of the the light bulb, the light bulb goes off. Hmm. Yeah, you've got to have a strong reason, and I think for a lot of people, it's no different to like health. Stuff. They need a massive health scare, then they're like, oh yeah, I'm gonna do 75 hard, or I'm gonna do, you know, some <laughs> diet, or I'm gonna start gymming or whatever, or go for a walk, you know, every day. And it's like, yep, that stuff's supposed to be preventative anyway, not reactive. But yeah, it's it's a shame because like the thing is, you know, like we we're talking about before, a lot of the stuff that is now being spoken about, whether it be in webinars, podcasts, um, you know, people were doing it one-on-one, like a lot of this education has been here for a lot of time and people are like, oh, the wealth gap's getting wider. And it's like, yeah, because only a small percentage of people want to actually take action and do things and can delay gratification. So of course it's going to get worse because yeah. like it's possible for a lot of people to, to achieve their goals, no matter how big or small they are, but mm. they've got to have a strong reason to do that to start with. Um, and only they can figure that out. And then only they can like get themselves back on the right track when they fall off of it. Only they can do the work mentally, um, mm. remove the conditioning, remove the the shame, like whatever it is that they're dealing with. So yeah, it's, it's a really challenging space. Yeah, yeah. The other thing that's that's really interesting is like, for a period of time, we were going in doing like financial plans in um, in businesses, um, and we we still do that kind of stuff. But a lot of the time now, I want I don't want the businesses to subsidize all of the cost of the plan because I need the person to have some form of skin in the game. Otherwise, mm-hmm. nothing's nothing's going to change. And I see there's a, a a comment in the chat around how often do you see people that are tripped off their journey to financial freedom because of shame not just justification um but pure shame i've i've seen lots of people that i've met once and i've never seen them seen them again i can usually work out who those people are going to be sometimes people really struck like the hindsight game can be crippling to some people about like the decisions they could have they could have made better but the thing to remember like in anything in life is you're gonna like stuff things up you're gonna fail like growing your wealth is not a linear journey. You're going to make heaps of mistakes along the way. And you just, like anything, you just pick yourself up, you know, and keep taking steps forward. These This wealth graph of like how smooth it is and like it's all just going to work perfectly. Like heaps of, you know, everyone's going to be made redundant a couple of times in their career. People are going to get sick. Things are going to go wrong. But the more financial stability you have, the more you're going to be able to take those blows, right? Yeah, and you've got to like look after yourself. I literally, I was at a meeting today and 
got told a story i'll keep it very high level um someone with with over 10 million dollars and now close to under one massive drinking problem just you name it the issue exists and mm. just huge fall from grace so you know i think people will be like oh you know you know you come from a privileged position or whatever well, people can still fuck it up when they get it right too right like you really gotta mm. gotta know yourself and you've got to get like you've got to tidy a lot of shit up because you don't want to go from being like a really broken broke person to like a broken rich person because you're still a broken person and you probably end up then being broke again yeah and if Ravi, if you just jump back to the slide before, the one around like the rich middle class households, um, uh, doctors and partners of law firms, let's talk about them, right? So they're sacrificing huge amounts of time towards their career to then throw cash back into things to kind of give them some sort of kick or enjoyment out of it. And this is why this stuff doesn't work, not just financially, but in terms of who you are as a person. You need to get like the goals and values in terms of who you want to be and where you want to go in life and what's important to you. Those things will send you towards being a wealthy person. But if you just like kind of earn more money or just make decisions, um, you know, in terms of like the relationships with the people in your life. And I know this is getting in towards life coaching. And But Luke, I tell you what, I am a marriage counselor, 100% or like big part of my job. But you 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 got to get this stuff. You got to get this stuff right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mate. I think those commandments eight, nine, and ten do not compare your wealth goals to that of of your peers and other people. So so important because someone's always going to be way ahead of you. Someone's going to always have a bigger something than you, whether it be cash, uh, what they're carrying, so to speak, um, or even how good they look. You know, it's just it's just not a good. The comparison thing just does not work. Give more value than you take. I love this. Money Mail coming up soon is about producing. What are you actually producing? I'm always asking clients about like how much value you actually putting out into the marketplace because that's going to determine how much comes back to you. Mm. And I think for a lot of people, they have not been taught this concept, but you can start small, like smiling at people, holding the door for them. But like the more you start thinking about serving people and producing the world starts to repay it to you. It just takes fucking ages. But again, the compounding effect and that ROI is huge. And you start to see it show up in different parts of your life. And you're like, cool, I get the concept now. I'll just do it over here. And then eventually you monetize it. Uh, and then treat your wealth like a business because it is. I mean, that's just explain that really, really well. Once you get that, you want to, as you know, sometimes you talk about, can you get your money to have babies for you? Can you get it to have out, like give out like smaller little notes again or little coins where you're like, sweet, you know? Yeah, got, not, not too kids. many kids though. Not too many kids are good for the financial plan um, unless we've got a prodigy, right? The prodigy can create a passive income. Mm -hmm. All right, Ravi, let's jump across the last couple of slides. Sweet. And no, that, that's it. Is there the... The booking links. Oh, we're gone. Oopsies. Well, if people do want to talk to your teammate, I'm sure they can uh, jump on the 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 website, James, and have a chat to you and your crew. Yeah, that's right. I mean, the whole idea is I've given um, everybody all of the components to oh there you go um i've given you all the components to be able to go and um, do this and make the most of your situation a lot of people will still want to 
um, outsource this to a financial advisor. So if you want to talk about all of these concepts and how you can build it into your situation and project it to achieve all your goals, um, scan the QR code, book a time with one of the team. The thing I'll say about the cost of a financial plan is if you do a plan and don't do anything with it, it's a complete waste of money and a waste of time as well. Um, if you put a financial plan to action, have the accountability and the roadmaps and the steps forward, it'll be the best money that you spend. Nice, mate. I think, yeah, this is something I see with clients where our clients who actually pay, pay attention and they, um, you know, they'll, they'll take the action. The amount of times I will spend time on the phone with a client telling them what they need to do, but they're not, they feel like they're getting the advice for free. They don't go and take the action, but they might even come at a later date, pay, we give them the same advice and they're like, fuck, that was amazing. It worked. Can't believe they didn't do it sooner. Or they pay another price. They they get so sick of what's happening that eventually they get the validation from a competitor or someone doing something that we've suggested to do. And they're like, right, like that, they start to pay attention and they go mm. like, I made this change. And all of a sudden they're like, oh, I'm getting these different results. So, mm. you know, I think um, a lot of the stuff we can do on our own, but eventually you kind of want to graduate yourself to a point where you can actually go and, tap on the shoulder of people who are, you know, highly experienced and say, what am I missing here? You know, how can you speed this journey up for me? Yeah. Yeah. There's two different kind of camps of people. There's those that you're starting from basics and holding their hand and building them up. And there's those that need the more kind of strategic thinking and kind of forecasting and those bits and pieces. Awesome. Well, hopefully everybody enjoyed that. Thanks, James. I appreciate your time as always, mate. There's always something to learn and this always gets the brain ticking of just different things that we can all be thinking about no matter what stage of our financial journey um, that we're at. So if people have any feedback that they want to leave in the chat before they go, we'd love to see that. Uh, but of course, as well, if you've got questions, feel free to leave something there because there are stacked there already. We'll be back same time next week, live on both the Keep the Change and Lighthouse Financial Instagrams, answering some of those questions. So if you've got anything else that you want to know, then chuck it in the chat and we'll address that next week. But thanks to you, James, and thanks to Ravi, um, who well is done, Ravi. out the back, making sure that we're actually live and I'm off mute and my video is turned on and all those important things. Yeah, the filter's working really well for you tonight, mate. Look five years <laughs> younger. Cool. All right, have a good night, everybody. See ya.